beginning of the end of the end times. And I know a lot of people, a lot of the Christians, thought hundreds of years ago, and 50 years ago, and 30 years ago, and even 10 years ago, we're going to just be gone. Now, we're going to be gone. The trump God will sound. But you know what? God's still got to complete some things in this earth. We're still the salt of the earth. You know what was amazing about the uh, Ukrainian thing that's happening right now is the fact that there's a lot of born-again believers that live in that country. And they're praying. We need to pray for them. We need to lift them up. But you know what? I believe God's going to do some supernatural things on their behalf. Because if it's not time for Russia to take that, God's going to stave it and push it back. Amen. But I, we just need to pray for their safety. And You know, the main thing is, you know, when a person knows the Lord, whether whatever situation or circumstance they're in, it doesn't matter if that's your last breath, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, thank God. But I, I want to stay here as long as I can to do the will of God. And every one of us want to stay here as long as we can to do the will of God. I, I learned this truth, and I, I always knew that God's got the time clock on everybody, but my wife was one that really bore that into my heart, Carol, my first wife. And she told me one day, she said, Clarence, sit down. i got something to tell you. She just smiling. I said, well, praise the Lord. She's feeling good. She said, I got some good news. She said, I'm going home. I said, we're home. No, no, no. I'm going to heaven. I said, right now? She said, pretty soon. And she said, God said, I'm going. And she said, only God has the expiration date. God bore that in her spirit. And I believe that. And she knew that. I'll tell you something. The devil's trying. How many, how many of you have had the devil try to take you out before your time? Accidents, car accidents, whatever it might be, you know. But listen, the devil does not have to say so. Only God has the final say so. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And when it's time, I want to be just like my wife was. Just lay down and say, okay, Lord, here I am. Let's go. Hallelujah. And that, this is what God wants us to understand, that we're in the end of the end. And whatever time we have left as a church and as believers in this earth, we need to take advantage of it. And we need to do all that we can to see that we can bring as many people to the Lord with us. Because God's coming. Jesus is coming. God's sending his son back for us. Amen. And we need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And, uh, and we need to be ready for it. That's what we're teaching on is the end times. I hope you're getting something out of this. Because I'm getting a whole lot out of it as I study. I'm getting things that I, I didn't even realize until I began to really study. And a lot of times we only hear what others say. And there's nothing wrong with hearing what others say. I listen to a lot of different good, solid, uh, sound, doctrinal preaching. <laughs> I don't listen to every, uh, as the old saying goes, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes along, you know. Yeah. Because not everybody has the right concept. Right. And there's a lot of them that are teaching some false concepts today that I thought would never teach false concepts. But you know the thing is, it's happening, but we're in the end time, and the, the Lord's second coming is a prominent theme throughout the whole New Testament. I want to read this verse of Scripture in 2 Peter 3, verses 1 through 4, where Peter's writing this. He said, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And this is this, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this verse, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from beginning to creation. 
And you probably have had this experience with your loved ones, friends that are backslidden. They're not serving God today. And you tell them Jesus is coming soon. And they say, I've heard that all my life. I've heard that from the time I was in Sunday school. I've heard that preached all the time I was there. And nothing's happened. I'm enjoying my life, so leave me alone. How many ever had that? I'm sure you have. I'm sure you've had that kind of response. Because people have lulled themselves to sleep, spiritually speaking. And they're not aware of the time that we're in. And I'm afraid that some of them are going to try to wait till the last minute and it's going to be too late for them. Listen, you can't choose the time. Only God draws by His Spirit. And there's a time that God quits drawing people. There's a time that it's cut off. Individuals. And they, 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 they've had their last chance. God's, God's warned people. But we need to understand that we're in those days. And we, we need to understand that Jesus is coming. Amen? And this still is our hope. How I many of those the coming of the Lord is still our hope and it's our strength? I'm glad that when you read the news, hear all the stuff that's going on, I'm glad that we can have confidence in our heart that we know who the King is. And we know the Savior. And we know Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. And we know that He's got it all under control. And everything that's happening is everything he's spoken through the prophets of old. And we're seeing it come to pass. And God loved us so much that he gave us prophets and men and women of God that have known what God is saying and what God is speaking. And they're able to unveil the word and reveal the word. Listen, the word of God is just more, it's nothing more than letters. Just, you know, whatever translation you have is just letters inked on paper until it becomes alive. This word is life. This word is alive. It's powerful. This word is truth. And by his word, we're delivered. By his word, we're redeemed. By his word, we have the victory. And this is what it's all about. But the Lord's second coming is going to be here. And uh, thank God that ever since he ascended to the Father almost 2,000 years ago now, we have awaited his return. The church has. Even the early church. Remember when Jesus was walking with them after he resurrected from the dead, you know, and they said, is this the time of the kingdom being restored? He said, no, not yet. You're going to be brought up before courts and arrested and beaten and killed and just, you know, for my name's sake. Well, they didn't want to hear that part. And you know what Christians and people today don't want to hear? They don't want to hear it's going to get worse. They don't want to hear that. I want to go to a church where they can encourage me. I want to tell you something. We're encouraged by the fact that Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But Lord, with you always, even to the end. We're encouraged by the fact that the presence of the Lord is with us. We're encouraged by the fact that God is truth and he never speaks a lie. And we, 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 we're, we're confident in the fact that Jesus is our hope and the resurrection is our hope. And thank God we, we've got the truth and we got, but see, a lot of people don't have that revelation of it. You know, all we know is the letter of it. We've got to have a revelation of it. We've got to see it and know it and know what God is saying. We don't do it. Heaven's not a fairy tale. Some people predict that, you know, they depict heaven as some type of, oh, oh, you know, you know you're going to have this big mansion. I heard one preacher preach at one time, and he said that he was caught up in a vision and, and, and caught up in the spirit was in heaven, and he saw his mansion. Oh, my goodness, he said, it's bigger than any mansion I've ever had down here. And, oh, I had all this name brand furniture in there. And I, when he started saying that, actually, the pastor, where I was, I looked over at him, and he was looking at his wife. He said, what do you think? And she was going, Why? 
Because physical structures is not what we're looking for in heaven. Amen? <laughs> now, I don't know. I, I know there's going to be something big there, something great there. But you know what? The primary thing that we're going to be focused on is Jesus himself. He's the light. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't judge my spirituality by the place I live. Amen. I, I've lived in, when I first got married, we lived in a little mobile home, you know, and, and we were so proud of that little two-bedroom mobile home. My daddy came and stayed with us one night, one weekend, and he came and stayed with us. And, and Stacy was just taught, you know, crawling around at that time. She just getting her teeth, you know. And, uh, and you know, he didn't take our bed. No, no. We didn't have no other place. Well, we had the one bedroom on that mobile home. And, and another little bitty room that was the nursery, you know. <laughs> and Stacy was up one night, and she just got to crawl in. He, we put him a pallet on the in the hallway there, and he was. And all of a sudden, we heard him scream. He said, "Don't you ever cage this baby up at night?" She didn't. Went in there and bit his big toe, you know. But you know, we, we, we lived in everything. But we've lived in nice places. We've lived in good places. We've lived in places God su supplied a place for us. We didn't even pay for it. And, and at five five thousand square foot home and, and three car garage and three acres and a swimming pool, you know, I, I, I we enjoyed those years. But you know what? It's nothing to compare to what God's got for us. Amen. How many understand what I'm saying? See, wealth is not what we're after in this earth. It's not things. Thing, everything you have is going to burn up one day. Everything. Hey, if it keeps going like it's going and it's going pretty quickly, you won't have nothing in the bank either. Because everything's going digitized. Everything's going, listen, they're working on that feverishly right now. And 2030, uh, it, it, I believe that they were predicting it could be a little faster than that as far as it's digitizing everything. Now, you know what? We've been accustomed to it. How many, how many has a debit card in your pocket right now? Credit card. I use my debit card all the time. It's easier, you know. Then I got to thinking one day, I said, we're just making it easy for the Antichrist. You know. We don't, we don't you know, it's there. It, you know, you go, to, you go to the bank to put checks in. Sometimes they say, just do it online. You know, well, you know what? It's coming to that. But you know, the thing is, victory's ours. And we know that's another sign of the coming of the Lord. But we, we understand the Lord's coming soon. And look at what Acts 1, verses 1 through 8 says. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus uh, began both to do and teach. Actually, Luke is the uh, author of Acts. And he's the one that's doing this. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles, whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by man, many infallible proofs, being seen by them for forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said he heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you, you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, all they had in their mind was physical things. Israel is a key factor in these end times, by the way. You don't have to worry about Israel right now. Israel is protected by God. They're marked by God. And God's got his protection around Israel. And prophecies still need to be fulfilled concerning Israel that has not been fulfilled. But did you know it could happen just like that? The properties and the boundaries and, and, and the, uh, the boundaries of the, the land of Israel could be expanded just like that in one war, one day. They could do it. Israel can do it. God's going to do it for them. 
Listen, God promised Abraham a certain amount of land in real estate. And you know what? The devil has dwindled it down to, to where they didn't even have a place. Jews were just vagabonds everywhere. They didn't have no place. They were homeless as far as having a home place and a home base. They might have had a physical structure, but not, not home. But you know what happened? 1948, after the World War II, after, after Jews were uh, annihilated throughout Europe, all of a sudden, Israel is birthed. A little bitty spot. Now, have, I don't know if you, if you get a chance, you ought to go into your encyclopedias or, or whatever and, and look at the, the size that Israel was, what they got from the very beginning. It was nothing. Nothing. 1948, they became a nation, sovereign little nation. Then they had the Six-Day War, 1967. They regained some territory. Guess what? They got old Jerusalem back. The old part of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Somebody said, well, why is that so significant? Because that's where the Antichrist is going to offer that, uh, that sacrifice that's, that's illegal as far as Jews are concerned. And it's, it's sacrilegious on, on that altar that's right there. And it, 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 that, but listen, God is performing his word and Israel is going to be restored. We're going to see territory given to Israel Maybe in, even in our time, we, we see it, we may see it coming in the few months or years or two. God's doing what he said he would do. We're living in the end time. But look what. <laughs> he said, you mean, look, now look what happens now when Jesus says this. Look at verse 9 in Acts 1. Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Didn't Jesus tell him, I'm coming back. Now the angels are confirming that fact. This same Jesus you see go away. Don't despair. Because remember Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send another comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. He's going to comfort you. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. He'll, he'll instruct you. He'll strengthen you. He'll encourage you. And he'll show you all things. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Spirit. And look what he said. This same Jesus that's taken from you will come again as you see him going to heaven right now. Jesus is coming back. We need to understand. Jesus, is, this is our blessed hope. This is our hope. Did you know I've talked to many Christians uh, throughout the years and some of them said, oh, don't, don't, don't preach about the end time. I don't want to hear about the end time. I love my life. I love my life. I'll tell you what. You know what? We need to. We, we don't want to get too comfortable in this earth. Because this is not our final dwelling place. We have an eternal home. And anybody that's gone on to be with the Lord, guess what? They just beat us there. And they're waiting on us. Amen? But thank God for the promise that we have that we're going to be able to re be reunited with them. But this is our hope. Look at Titus 2, verses 13. Looking for that blessed hope. This is what Titus said. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our Savior, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look what Jude said. Jude's that little bitty book in the Bible, you know. 17th and 18th verse said, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. That love his appearing. I'm going to tell you something. There's some Christians today that's not looking forward to the appearing of Christ. And they don't love his appearing. But I tell you what, it's to those that are looking and love his appearing that are going to be called up. Amen? 
But remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now they told that, that there, there should be mockers in the last time who would walk after their ungodly lust. That's Jude 17 and 18. Remember those days. And the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. How many know there's two significant things here that's going to take place? The coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. And a lot of, you know, for hundreds of years, men who were supposed to be prophets, they prophesied an error throughout the years. We, we've had a lot of error from people, and, and I'm, I'm not putting them down. I'm not blaming them. I tell you what, sometimes we only have partial knowledge anyway. We don't have the full rep. I believe our the church, that our, when I say the church, the church of today has more revelation knowledge than they did in the 50s. We've got more revelation knowledge as far as seeing things happening that you can relate to in the prophetic events that's taking place. And therefore, that, that gives us a little more leeway to have a little more revelation knowledge of things. Even though people saw it back in those days, but we're living in these days. And we're seeing these things begin to happen rapidly in, in our time. But a lot of people were sincere, but they missed it completely. And uh, to their credit, they did not see the signs of the end developing, but were incorrect because only the Father God has the answer. Listen, only God knows. He's the only one that knows when he's going to say, go get them. Only the Father knows that. No man knows it. No man can prophesy the exact time and date. That's happened too in our past. Some of them have been, quote, full gospel, Pentecostals. And they said that God gave them a date. No, God, God's not giving man the date. Jesus himself, only my Father in heaven knows. Only God himself knows the time. And uh, that's what Matthew 24, 3 says. But of that day and hour, no, no man know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But my Father only. Now, I want to look at something briefly here, though, because the coming of the Lord is upon the lips of people everywhere. And I want to show you some things. I'll begin to study into this a little bit, and I want to show you five different perspectives of the second coming of the Lord that's out there right now. The first one is this. This is the perspective of a brand new Christian. How many remember when you were first born again? Wasn't that happy? Didn't you feel lighter? Felt like a load been lifted off of you. You didn't feel condemned no more. You felt like, hey, I'm happy, I'm joyful. I belong to the family of God. And but the perspective of the new Christians, First Thessalonians verses of chapter one, verse nine and ten. For they themselves declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now what Paul's saying here, that these, these Christians, they, uh, and concerning the manner, manner of entry that they had to them, the disciples, the apostles coming to these people, he said, how you turn to God from idols. Did you know there's still idol worshipers in this 21st century? You can worship things, you can worship money. Now I don't see you. I don't say you get down, bow down to money, you know, and 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 to go through these rituals like that. But we have a worship for. Did you know the money is going to just be gone one day? What you have is going to be worth a penny. I mean, now I'm going to have, I'm going to use the money that God gives me for good as long as I can. How, how do you understand what I'm saying? But you're not taking no bank account to heaven with you. There won't be no Sierra Bank there. I said that because that's where we live. <laughs> Amen. There, there won't be, there won't be nothing like that. But listen, what what this writer said in in First Thessalonians said, he said, you turn from idols serve the living God. We've turned from idols 
idols to serve the living God, whom he raised from the dead, and Jesus. And what this, this represents, you turn to God from idols, they repented and changed. They repented and changed. Listen, repentance isn't even preached no more. There's a lot of places that don't even preach repentance. Some people just walk down the aisle. There's no repentance. Repentance means you turn away from it. You leave it all behind. And, and you come forward to make Jesus Lord of your life. We sing the song, He's my Lord. Amen? What does Lord mean? That means He's rules. He reigns. Now, God doesn't force anybody to do anything. Did you know you're not forced to raise your hands and praise the Lord? But you're encouraged to in the scriptures, and you're encouraged to by leaders to lift your hands in the presence of the Lord. Come into his presence with praise and thanksgiving. The scriptures declare. So what, what it is, we turn to God from our idols, and they heard Jesus was coming again, and they turned and repented and changed. I'll tell you something. Repentance has another word with it, changing. If you don't see a changed life, you don't see a repentant life. A repentant person is going to change. Their vocabulary will change. Now, sometimes it takes a little time. If somebody gets upset, and sometimes their vocabulary has not been converted yet all the way. Nobody's ever been guilty of that, right? <laughs> but you know, as you grow in the Lord, you, you, you see that change. It's a changed life. And uh, it was the day when the preaching of the sure and certain return of the Lord Jesus Christ would strike fear in the hearts of those that heard it. Y'all remember those days? You talk about the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church, and boy, people would get scared. And boy, they'd rush to the altar. Whew. And they'd cry crocodile tears and then get up and go out and live just like they did before. Because they were changed. See, nobody wants to think about what the aftermath is going to be. But, so it's a temporary change. But you see, God wants an eternal change. He wants an eternal change in our hearts and lives. Amen? And they realized they'd stand before the returning and reigning crowd. What they were going to stand before the Lord. We're going to stand before him. And he will judge us. But the new Christian, it represents a consecrated life. Now, why, why am I saying all this today? Because these are things that we have to make sure happens in our life. Number one, we've got to be have a changed life and turn from idols. Idols, anything that, anything that takes its place in your life above God is an idol. So we got to get everything turned to the Lord and have a consecrated life. Uh, he said to, to serve the living and true God. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, uh, for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. But it's a consecrated life. God's calling the church to be consecrated. We have, we have to be consecrated to God. And uh, this represents service to the Lord. Doing things for God. Amen? Doing things because you love God. And ministry. Everybody has a ministry. Everybody in here has a ministry. Some people have different phases of ministry or different types of ministries. But we're all ministers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us are ministers of that, and that's it. And the, the message of Jesus' return and should move us to service for Christ. We, listen, if we haven't done much for God in the last few years, all that's happening in the news, all that's happening in this world that's going on right now should move us to a place, God, what can I do for the kingdom of God? What can I do for the kingdom of God? What can I do to accomplish the will and the purpose of God in this end time? I want to tell you something. The church, thank God for the local church, which we are a local church, 
But the church, I'm talking about the church. The church is worldwide. The church has got thousands of born-again believers, probably millions of born-again believers. I'm talking about the church. We're part of the church. But at the same time, we, we need to come to that place where we can consecrate ourselves and be exactly what God's called us to be. Can you say amen? amen. And now let's look at the, from the perspective of a soul winner, a Christian soul winner. How many, how, how many of those Christians should be soul winners? We should be a living witness in front of, first of all, our family, then our neighbors, on the job, and to the world. Hallelujah. That's what God's called us to be. We're so, what, look at 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, 20. I keep going back to Paul there. But what is our hope for joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Our glory and our joy. I'll tell you something. When you see people born again and you take them under your wings, so to speak, and, and just love on them and, and encourage them and, and help instruct them in the things of God, I'll tell you what, you're going to be like Paul. <laughs> you're, our you're our glory and our joy. Amen. New converts. I, listen, God wants some new converts. God wants some new souls in the kingdom. But the thing is, you got to get some of these old souls on fire again. <laughs> Amen? But God's going to bring them in. Amen? And our crown. But listen, from the perspective of a Christian brother or sister, uh, look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, 13. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. There's a twofold love. We abound in love for one another and for all men. There's a twofold love. We abound in love for one another. If someone says, I love God, look, this is what 1 John 4, verse 20 says. If somebody says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I want to tell you something. Did you know? I, I, I mean, this ain't the first town I've lived in. But, but places where we've been, and some of the, some of the facilities we've been in, and, and church, some churches that we've been in, I tell you, they got this attitude that, you, you know, I don't, I, I, I just can't forgive that person. What if God said that to you? Oh, I can't forgive you. God takes us as we are. Y'all remember that old song that used to be played at altar calls? Just as I am without one plea. Old Lamb of God was slain for me. I don't know. I, I'm getting it there a little bit, but I don't have it all. But y'all you, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, and we need to have love for one another and for all men. Everybody. I want to tell you something. In this last day, we're going to come together as Christians. And there are some Christians that may not have the infilling of the Holy Ghost like you do, but that doesn't mean they're not Christians. How many understand what I'm saying? But we're going to get along together. Because we need one another in this end time. And we can encourage them. See, the Holy Spirit is not just something to tickle our flesh. The Holy Spirit is to lead us, guide us, and direct us, empower us to be what? Witnesses. The Holy Ghost is to be able to reflect the presence of God in our lives. So that others can be set free and delivered. Now mind you, there's going to be times we're going to have a, a good feeling time with the Holy Spirit. Amen? But how many knows the purpose of the Holy Ghost? So that you can be witnesses. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me. And in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what he told the disciples. 
the Holy Spirit's going to come. And it did come. Most, pe most people major on the excitement of that day rather than on the purpose of that day. Now, I'm not getting a lot of amens here. I'm going to say it again. A lot of people major on the excitement of the day of Pentecost rather than on the purpose of Pentecost. What did Jesus say? You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Jesus himself said. So the purpose of the Holy Ghost is not to tickle your flesh, Although that's going to happen. Amen? I feel good. Have y'all ever seen that song? I feel good. I feel good. Just to know that I've been redeemed makes me feel good. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with feeling good. There's nothing wrong. I used to call it the Holy Ghost tickle. There's nothing wrong. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I'm not anti-worship, anti-anything on the Holy Ghost. But we don't focus on the experience. We focus on the purpose. And the purpose is to be witnesses unto the Lord. You shall be empowered to be witnesses unto those. Because it's the Word coming through you, the anointed Word, and the power of God. And mind you, if you're full of the Holy Ghost and you touch somebody, they're going to feel the power of the Lord. They're going to feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. That's good preaching, Brother Ferris. And this is the perspective of the coming of the Lord from a grieving Christian. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18. For I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. We've all got loved ones that's going on to be with the Lord. Amen? For those who have fought, but lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, listen. We're going to sorrow because we miss them. There's nothing wrong with good grieving or sorrow. You've got to go through a grieving process. I think I've told this here before, but I was doing a, uh, I was, I've been called to a home for a prayer meeting back in the 70s, and they had a house full of people, probably had 40 people packed in those couple rooms there, and, and uh, we ministered, and the Lord just focused my attention on one lady that was there, and I, I just and, and I just had that drawing of the Spirit to her, and after I got through ministering the Word, I said, ma'am, I want to pray for you, and I walked over to her, and the Holy Ghost began to speak through me to her. I said, ma'am, your husband died six years ago. And I said, you were there at that funeral and you were there at that casket. But you never cried one tear. You never went through a grieving process. Did you know there's grieving that happens when you lose a loved one? There's always, there's a grieving time. And we've got to give people time to grieve. This had happened six years prior. And the Lord spoke to me and said, she has never grieved. She's never, she's never let it all out, in other words. And I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, the day of your husband's funeral, I said, did you grieve? Or did you hold it in? She looked at me and she said, I held it in. I've held it in all these years. I said, well, you're going to be free tonight. But there's, there's no sin in grieving. There's no sin. Grieving is healing. And I said, there's no sin in it. And we laid hands upon her. And all of a sudden, she just fell back in her chair. And I mean, she began to moan and to groan and just sob. And weep. This is something that should have happened six years prior to that. 
For six years, she had had it bottled up on the inside of her. And I tell you what, she just kind of, she just, she just, she just moaned and groaned. I don't know. I, probably 20 minutes of that went on that night. I went ahead and ministered to some other people. But she was just moaning and groaning. Then all of a sudden, the power, the Spirit of God just, you could just see it shining through her. The smile broke loose on her face. And she lifted her hands and began to praise the Lord and glorify. And she came up to me, gave me the biggest bear hug I'd ever had. And, and she said, son, she said, see, I was old enough to be her son, you know. And, uh, and she said, son, she said, I'll tell you what, I haven't felt this good in all these years. You were right on. And she just started praising the Lord and glorifying God. But she got free that night. Now, look what Paul said. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who fall asleep unless you sorrow as others who have no hope. Now, sorrow is, you know, we, we can, but we that have hope, we don't sorrow as others that don't have any hope. When a person's a, a Christian, a born-again believer, and they go on to be with the Lord, we're going to sorrow because we're going to miss them. And there's a grieving process that you go through. But I want to tell you something. God wants you to know that there's hope. Amen. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be called up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Hallelujah. If you've got loved ones that's, left, that's lost some loved ones, you comfort one another. Comfort one another with these words. So, thank God. Now, the final thing I want to talk about this morning real quickly is the land of Canaan is still one of the main keys to the end time prophecy. The land is important. There's probably no more disputed real estate than Israel. Uh, there's been a dispute over that over that land for years and years and years. Even calling uh, calling that Israel will raise objections from some quarters. Because see, they still don't want to recognize Israel as a sovereign country and a sovereign state over there. They they want to recognize Israel as vagabonds and they don't have no place. But God said. Aren't you glad that God's when God says something, He means what He says, and He says what He means. And He told Abraham when He first called him out, and He gave him, He said, "Lift up your eyes and look as far as you can see. This land is going to be the land that I'm giving my people." Those are the boundaries that God began to lay out. And now, I mean, you can study out the boundaries, but I'm going to tell you something: where Israel is now is not the boundaries that God gave them in the Old Testament, when he first gave Israel the land. God is restoring that back to Israel. God, Israel is still the key to the end time prophecy today. Anytime you see something happening in Israel, you need to lift up your heads and rejoice because your redemption is drawing nigh. Because God is speeding up the process for Israel. Israel is still the key to this whole end time. And the land of Canaan is still... Uh, on his mind right now. Even calling it Israel still raises objections to some. They don't like the Mormon law. I won't recognize them. I remember our first trip, my first trip to Israel. And we ministered at a church. It was on a Saturday because that's the Sabbath as far as the uh, uh, Jews. And, and it's the Sabbath. And I, it, was a, it was a spirit-filled Baptist church. Spirit-filled. Holy Ghost-filled. There were more Holy Ghost-filled than some of our Pentecostal churches in America. They worshiped God. They glorified the Lord. And we were on our way. We had a bus, but we all was going over on the bus, you know, to the to the service that night. And I mean, we went through uh, 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 Arab territory, <laughs> and uh, we, the 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 church was not good. One side was Arab, and one side was Jews, you know. And uh, we, but we went through there, and they threw rocks at the bus. They cracked the window where I was sitting. I said, "Dear Lord, I don't know if I want to go here or not." But that's the, still the hostility that's in the mindset of people. Not only that's there that are not Jews, but it's the mindset of people all around the world 
Why? Because Israel is a byword to them. And Israel is still the key to this end time prophecy. And a key to what God's going to do. Because what God says he means and he means what he says. And Israel is going to be restored just like God said would be restored. Because God said it. Not because some preacher said it. Not because somebody prophesied it. This was prophesied years before all of us preachers come on the scene. We're not prophesying nothing new. God said it. God spoke it. And if God says it, I believe it. And that should settle it. Amen? <laughs> but the land, uh, it, it, it's important. Look at Genesis 15, 18 through 21. God promised Abram this. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, For to your descendants I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenzazites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. That's a lot of sites. But God said, it's yours. Abram just had his servants and his people with him. You know, hey. But on his trip, he had an encounter with God. God cut covenant with him. In that encounter. And on that encounter, he said, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah. Abram, Abraham means father of many nations. That's what it literally means. You know, your name's important. How many knows your name means something? I studied my name one time. Boy, I'm proud of it. I used to didn't like Clarence. I really didn't. Oh, and when I got in high school, I called myself Richard. Of course, there were two other Clarences in the high school in the same class, you know. Clarence Hammer and then my cousin, Clarence Odell. But I just went by my middle name, Richard. But then I found out one day, hey, names are important. And I studied my name. You ever studied your name? Clarence means intelligent one. Yeah. Richard means lion-hearted, courageous. So I'm intelligent and I'm lion-hearted and courageous. Clarence Richard. My mother knew when she'd get mad at me, she'd say, Clarence hey, Richard! Of course, my brother picked up on it and said, Clarence hey, Richard, I'm going to tell on you. I said, go ahead, I'm still her favorite. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, listen, Abraham, God said, I'm going to give it to you. And that's what God did. He's, he gave this to Abraham. And God reiterates that covenant. A promise expands the unconditional promise of the land. And look what in Genesis 17, 7 through 8. And I'll establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations to it for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger in all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said that. In the Abrahamic covenant, God laid out the extent of the land that would belong to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he laid it out right there. And it's a territory included in all of Canaan and stretching from Egypt to modern-day Iraq. Hallelujah. That's God's boundaries. God is going to reestablish these boundaries for Israel. Because God doesn't lie. God keeps his word. And it's going to be. Amen. It's the promised land. It's the promised land. The promised land of land belonging to Israel is permanent too, by the way. It's a Listen, when God speaks, He don't change His mind. How many knows you don't serve a wishy-washy God? God promised you something, you can go to the bank with it. God will do what He said. Amen. God will 
to it. He, he, he doesn't lie. He's not man that he lies or son of man he has to repent. But the promise of land belonging to Israel is permanent. It's a permanent thing. Deuteronomy 30, uh, verses 4 through 5, even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from, from, uh, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. How many, how many sees this what God's doing in this last day? He's bringing them back, and he will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you'll take possession of it according to the word of the Lord. The promise of what is today is sometimes called the Palestinian covenant. Because remember, I remember in high school or school when we studied history and things, it was called Palestine. You know, Israel was not Israel back then. 1948 is when, it, when, when Israel became a nation, and, but they still didn't recognize it and didn't talk about it much, even in the schools, you know, as far as Israel. But the Palestinian covenant or the land covenant. And, uh, and during the Babylonian captivity, 586 B.C., and the Roman destruction of Jerusalem, A.D. 70, in both cases, the promise of the covenant held true. Jews regained their land and their nation in 537 B.C. and again in A.D. 1948. That's amazing, isn't it? God keeps his word. And it's a permanent thing that God's done. And we need to understand that. And uh, uh, anyway, all, all the way through the Bible, you, you need to study it out some and, and just read it. In Joshua 1 and 4, God again describes all the, uh, the, the boundaries that is there to Joshua and the children of Israel again. Why? Because it's an eternal covenant. God's word is true. God is going to keep his word. Jesus is coming soon because God said it. And we're living in that time. Praise God. And listen, the messages of the coming of the Lord should not bring fear. God don't want us walking around out here in fear. When you look at the news, don't get fearful. Get hopeful. Because the prophecies being fulfilled is only to bring hope to the believers. God is going to keep his word. Jesus is coming soon. And he doesn't want us to become complacent, hear these scriptures and messages and, and, uh, and as fairy tales. You know, some people look at this coming of the Lord thing as just like a fairy tale. You know, it's a good story. But no, let's get down to reality. This world is getting prepared for the coming of the Lord. This world is getting prepared for World War III. I mean, listen, we might as well face facts. That's not to bring fear, but that should bring hope because God's keeping his word and God's going to do what he said he would do. Thank God we're going out here. Amen? How many thankful for that? Look up. Look up. Don't look down. You miss a lot of things looking down all the time. But look up. But don't look up all the time because you'll stumble or something. But he said, lift up your eyes and your heads in Luke 21, 28. For your redemption draws nigh. Our redemption draws nigh. I don't know about you, but every time I study, and I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not done. concerning Israel. Listen, you're, you're, it's going to be some major breakthrough news happening because Jesus is coming soon. We, we, we've been talking about it. The coming of the Lord has been talked about for 2,000 years since Jesus ascended to heaven. And you know why? Because he's coming soon and there's believers that are looking for him. And if you look at the timetable on everything, Seven, listen, every 2,000 years something major happens. Creation happens. The beginning. 2,000 years later, 
blood. Hmm? 2,000 years after the flood, and even after the listen, all evil was annihilated at the flood, except Noah and his family. And isn't it amazing that Noah's family backslid, and most of them backslid, and went away from the Lord, and a lot of these nations that's raised up that were heathen, and anti-God, and anti-Jew, and anti-Israel, raised up all around. 2,000 years after the flood, though, the greatest event that took place, Jesus came. Jesus came as a man. He became the supreme sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but if you're watching Jewish calendar times, we're getting pretty close to that end of that next 2,000 years is what? Coming of the Lord. I think the Jewish calendar is, what, 57-something right now? Or something along those lines. And we, we, we may be off a little bit as far as our timing on that, but we're, we're in the end of the end. Jesus is coming soon. It was prophesied from the beginning that God was going to send a Savior. And he did come. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming. I'll tell you what, we need to be repaired, prepared. Well, you're not, you might need to repair some things. You might need to repair some relations. <laughs> you might need to repair some things in, 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 at home, you know, with family. Listen, we, we have, to, in preparation, there's a lot of repairing that goes on, too. We need to repair relationships. I want to tell you something. Christians need to get together again. Believers need to stand together again. We need to get rid of all this bad memory stuff and get it out of our minds. Forget it. God does. If somebody repents, he forgets it. How many glad God cast your sins in the sea of forgetfulness? Never to remember it against you no more. Aren't you glad? Woo. Some preachers used to preach and they'd paint a bad picture and say, God's going to just draw your picture up here on the screen and he's going to put every bad thing you've done and boy, people just run to the altar. Whew. They must have a lot to hide. But I don't want to have an altar call like that. I want to have an altar call where Jesus loves you. And because he loves you, we're seeing the fulfillment of these prophecies that's coming to pass in our lives. And we're a privileged people today to be living in this generation that will welcome the coming of the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word and we declare it to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we just praise you. We just praise you. We just praise you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. How many glad you're ready for the coming of the Lord?
We've gotten a great meal out here for everybody. And we're just going to worship Him. Be back here tonight at 6 if you can. We'll be here. Hallelujah. God bless you.